title of my sermon this morning is a tough pill to swallow question mark there a <laughs> uh, tough pill to swallow um, you know this is a really uh, powerful and interesting passage um, and one of the things at the heart of this passage is that very first story of Jesus preaching in the synagogue this is the only time we ever have uh, in the book or in, in Luke Luke and Acts that we have Jesus uh, not just the uh, statement that he's preaching but the actual content of one of his sermons, which is fairly rare. So we actually know that Jesus, A, went to synagogue regularly. So there's a good reason to go to church regularly. Not only did Jesus go to synagogue regularly, he apparently pretty consistently volunteered to read. Hey, there you go. Jesus constantly volunteered to read. There was a, always a volunteer to do a public reading of scripture. And so it seems like Jesus did this quite often now. The difference about this one is not that Jesus only reads Isaiah 61, which is a powerful passage about the year of Jubilee, which I'll explain in just one second, um, but that he says that this prophecy is fulfilled literally in your ears, that the prophecy is fulfilled inside your ears um, because of the one who is reading the prophecy. Now, Jesus reads this passage, and it's a very powerful passage because it says that Jesus has come as God's Messiah to set the oppressed free, to bring sight to the blind. And this is a passage that really has to do with the, the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is a, a, is a year in the Old Testament. It's called this, this basically, it's the seven of seven Sabbath, Sabbath years. So every seventh year is a Sabbath year. So seven of those equals 49. So then that, that next year is a, is a Jubilee year. 50, every 50 years is a Jubilee year. Now, what happens in a Jubilee year? It's a good question. Now, God declared that his people would never again be slaves. And so... What happens after every 50 years is that anybody who had to sell themselves into indentured servitude or slavery would be freed. Um, everyone who had acquired property that wasn't theirs naturally would have to give that property back to the original owner. And the idea is that no matter what the people did, no matter how many mistakes they made financially, economically, sinfully, right, is that there would be a restoration, a healing a time when everything would be brought back to the way it was supposed to be, that God's people would never again be slaves. This was the idea. But this idea had a lot to do with, with, with general messiahship and the redemption of all mankind in, in a Jewish uh, paradigm. And so as Jesus comes on the scene and talks about the Jubilee year, in some ways it's a very popular message. But have you noticed something interesting about this? Is that Jesus preaches a very popular message and then the audience tries to kill him. That is incredible. Why? Why does this audience, I ask you this morning, why does this audience try to kill? You know, I've preached some bad sermons, but never have you guys tried to kill me, at least not that I'm aware of. Uh, why does this audience actually try to kill Jesus? Now, I think we have to look deeper as a church into this text and discover what is it that Jesus says? What is it that occurs? that gets these people to such a violent response. Um, and we've seen this today, right? You're, maybe you're talking with somebody normally and out of nowhere, they just had this like really anger, angry outrage or outburst. And you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Uh, right? There was obviously something you were feeling deep down. Um, and I think sometimes as people, we hide our emotions, we hide our feelings so deep down and then they, they come out, right? Sometimes just the slightest prick. But it's, what, is, what is it that Jesus does? Now, Jesus comes in and he preaches this, the gospel of setting the oppressed free. And it tells us a couple things. Uh, one, it tells us that social justice matters to Jesus. Uh, social justice matters to God. 
And there's no way around that here, that Jesus is quite literally saying, I have come to set the oppressed free. I've come to release the captives. Now, that's not an unpopular message. If I just said, hey, social justice for everyone, most people are like, hey, that's pretty popular. I like that. Keep it coming, Pastor Drew. Um, but it's not what gets Jesus in trouble. Um, Jesus says, I come to bring uh, social justice for everyone. The people hear it. At first, they're impressed. Then they begin to reject him. Now, we're not exactly sure why, but the people begin to get critical. They say, is this Joseph's son? It could mean a couple things. One of the things it could mean is, is this uh, the, 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 the kid born out of wedlock? Uh, so why are we listening to him? Is this just the, this is the Messiah, this guy, uh, this, you know, redneck, uh, you know, single mom, you know, Jesus, isn't this Joseph's son? That might be a reference to the fact that Joseph abandoned his family. Could be a reference to that Joseph passed away. We don't know. The other option is that they're, they're, they're saying, well, why don't you do for us what you did in Capernaum? Basically, okay, Jesus, you're saying you're the Messiah. Show us something. You did some cool stuff in Capernaum. Show us something. We're, we're Nazarenes, man. You're a Nazarene. We're, your, we're in your hometown. Give us, give us the best treatment. All this stuff could be happening. The bottom line is that Jesus's audience begins to reject his message. It's not violent yet. It's just simple criticism. And it, it's an attempt to avoid hearing the message. You've done this probably, right? You hear a message from somebody and then you begin to point out flaws in their character so that you don't have to actually listen to what they're saying. It's called an ad hominem attack, right? Saying like someone says something, you say, well, I don't have to listen to him. You know, he's divorced or I don't have to listen to her. She's a horrible mom, right? It's, it's, it's a way to avoid a message um, by, detract, by detracting from the messenger. That's something we all do. And these people begin to do it with Jesus. And Jesus begins to say, hey, listen, you're probably going to quote me this proverb, doctor, heal yourself, right? I mean, you have all these abilities to heal and do miracles. Take care of yourself. You're probably going to tell me that. You know, Jesus is beginning to read his audience and read that they're, they're rejecting him. Um, but the reality is, is that the people do not try to kill Jesus until he does something specific. What does he do? You've probably picked up on it by now, is he begins to, he chooses two options from the Old Testament uh, with whom to compare himself. And he chooses these two examples, right? Jesus goes, hey, listen, I'm going to bring, a, I'm going to heal. I'm going to give the blind vision. I'm going to take care of the enslaved. I'm going to, we're going to liberate the slaves. We're going to, we're going to bring justice to the world. You know, and justice is a very common theme in the Old Testament. Um, in Psalm 89, righteousness and just judgment, it says, or sorry, righteousness and justice are the two twin towers of God's kind and kind mercy. Righteousness and justice. And so justice is a very popular idea, but Jesus says, okay, justice we're talking about. How about these two examples? Oh yeah, remember Elijah? They go, yeah, Elijah, good guy, Jew, love him. Can't get enough of him. Hey, remember when he uh, healed that woman in Zarephath? Remember when he saved her son? Interesting. Hey, remember Elisha? Oh, we love Elisha. Great guy, Jew, one of us. Can't get enough of him. Yeah, remember, remember when he actually healed Naaman the Syrian of leprosy? There were actually a lot of people in Israel who needed help. But Elijah didn't go to them. Elisha didn't go to them. He went to those in Zarephath and those in Syria. Now, it's important to know, we read that today and we go, what's the big deal? Well, to a Jew, it was a big deal. These were people, they had bad blood. 
all right? These are people who had a history. Um, those in Zarephath, the Phoenicians, the Syrians, and, and the Jews, by the way, if you look at the Middle East today, it's, it's, a, it's a friction that is still occurring between the Syrians and the Jews and the Egyptians, the, the Muslims. This is a centuries, centuries uh, millennia old feud, bad blood, right? Uh, between races, between ethnicities, between nations. And so when Jesus mentions these people is when the Nazarenes begin to kill Jesus. You know, when you say, okay, social justice, I can get on board with that. But social justice for who? Who are we talking about? Who are we talking about, Jesus? And when Jesus actually makes clear the specifics of his plan, of God's plan, he is not just rejected. He had, they, there's an attempted lynching that occurs. They attempt to kill him on the spot based on an Old Testament lynch law that they think they're following. What is going on in this story? How did it escalate that quickly? Well, I think, it's, I think it's what we go through today. I think all of us agree. Oh, yeah, social justice. Yeah, we're all on board. Go, go get him. But who are you talking about? Let's get specific. I think it's in specifics that power and conviction begin to take their toll. You know, we, can you imagine Jesus saying, uh, I know we're all in, coming from different places. Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, I come to bring social justice and liberation. Oh, for who? Oh, for those who support Black Lives Matter. You know, some people in the church might go, oh, what are you talking about? Maybe we go, hey, I've come to bring social justice and liberation. For who? Oh, for those who are Trump voters. Ooh. What are you talking about? I've come to bring liberation and I've come to bring social justice for who? For Biden voters. I've come for Joe Jurgensen voters. You're out there, I think, some of you, <laughs> right? I've come to bring, and then all of our hearts go, right? All of our hearts, uh, because all of us, right? We, we have this vision of this expectation of what God's plan and God's message should be. When it gets specific is when we begin to see the enemies of our enemies in the world. And are we okay with social justice really for everyone? Now, in the current situation in our, in our nation, our nation also has some bad blood. Our nation has some corporate sins that have traveled generations. And the, the thing I think we have to do is we have to be able to recognize those sins. We have to be able to see and recognize because without we cannot move forward unless there's recognition. You know, Jesus's primary goal is not social reform, right? Social justice and social reform, well, I'll say social justice is important to Jesus, but not social reform. I'll tell you why, because Jesus is not going to Rome to try to change the politics of, the, of Jesus is not demonstrating in Jerusalem, right? Jesus is not, but what is Jesus primarily there for? What's his primary goal? If he's not primarily a social reformer, what is he primarily there for? And it becomes clear in the two examples he cites. Jesus can pick any two examples from the Old Testament he wishes with whom to compare himself. He chooses two guys who are healers. He doesn't choose them because they're rejected. He chooses them because they're healers. The Jubilee year is not about uh, a new program that will just save everyone. It's not about economic reform. It's not about political reform or social reform. The Jubilee year is about healing. 
It is about not farming on land for a year because you want the ground to follow. You want the nutrients to get back in the soil. It's about actually forgiving debt because you don't want that debt to come between you and your brother, your fellow Israelite. The Jubilee year is all about forgiveness and reconciliation. So for the reason of healing, for the reason of healing. And so when we think about what's going on in our country right now and the cries for social justice, we've got to think in our hearts, what would our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ do? It's really easy to see Jesus in our own image and just say, Jesus would do this or do that because I would do this or that. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't get involved, I don't think, because I would get involved. <laughs> Jesus would definitely protest because I, I would protest, right? We kind of see Jesus in our own image. The question is not, it's not what would Jesus do in our own image? The question is, what is Jesus's primary importance? What is his primary goal? What does he care most about? And something that's powerful when you get specific is you begin to see someone's real heart. Because we can hide behind, I want social justice for all, I care about all lives. We can hide behind that, but when we get specific, I'll give an example. As Christians, we really support, right? Um, really support pro-life. We support protecting children in the womb. And when you, when you say you support children in the womb, you're not saying that the rest of the child's life means nothing. You know, we, we, we protect justice in the womb and God wants to protect justice all the way to the tomb. God wants justice for all, not just in the womb, but all the rest of our lives. And they, God wants us to be able to, to hone in on particularly oppressed groups, to be able to say, yes, these lives matter. We can disagree about the methodology. We can disagree about how things should be done, but we cannot disagree as Christians about the idea that lives matter. And in particular, we cannot disagree about the idea that black lives matter, that brown lives matter. And yes, Jesus cared about all people. The, 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 the plan in Luke 4 is always that God's universal plan of salvation. Nobody's not saying that God doesn't have a universal plan of salvation. He does. But you, you guys know this. If you're going to bring about healing, what do you have to first do? You have to recognize sin. You can't just, you can't have a kumbaya moment. And one of the problems of the church in the last several hundred years, especially in our country, is the kumbaya moment in regard to civil rights and social justice. We have this moment, the kumbaya moment. We all love each other. We're all the same. We all struggle. We're all fine. Let's just move forward. But it doesn't really deal with the pain that is suffered by an oppressed group, especially an oppressed group. It doesn't, it doesn't bring about healing. It doesn't, it's just a kumbaya moment and then things continue on. And I wanna just encourage you right now. I know you might be writhing in that seat. You've, maybe, maybe you've already turned off your Zoom. Maybe you've gone to the bathroom, right, already, because this is making you uncomfortable. But good, good, I pray. I pray that this message can make all of us uncomfortable because most, most healing has to first begin with uncomfortability. I remember as a kid, whenever I had a loose tooth, I, I would be nervous to tell my mom because she'd always be like, oh, I'll get the pliers. You know, she, she never actually got pliers, but my mom loved yanking our, you know, our teeth out, right? And it was always painful. And that, but then at the, after it was over, you felt like, oh, mom got the tooth out, right? Or if I ever had a splinter, I would tell my mom and she would get that needle. I can still picture it right now. She would get the needle 
and put it over the candle to dis, you know, to, to sterilize so that she can dig out that splinter with that needle. When I think of splinters, I think of needles, right? When I think of a loose tooth, I think of pliers to this day, right? Because, because that's, that's what I thought of. But in every situation, once it's removed, it's, there's a uh, healing can now occur. The blood can clot, the nutrients can get back in there. The process of healing can begin. And this is what Jesus comes to bring. And it is a tough pill to swallow for the Nazarenes. It's a tough pill to swallow, one to the point where they reject Christ completely and try to kill him. But we have to be able to agree as a church. We have to be able to lead the discussion on these issues. If the world is the, is the leader of the discussion on LGBTQ rights, and, LG, and if the world is the leader on what to do about trans lives, if the world is the leader about what about racial injustice, the church is, is just, that's going to be the, like the, the, the dog and we're going to be the tail. We're just going to be wagged along, right? By Will mentioned earlier, by the, by the to and fro, by the ups and downs of the winds and waves of every kind of teaching and the cunningness and craftiness of men. But if we can lead the discussion in humility and in healing, you know, every time I want to lift up the church, every time I've struggled, and I've struggled in this, and we all struggled in this, what to do, what to say, what to post, what to, you know, we all are afraid. And I think it all just comes down to fear. We cannot let our fear rule us. We cannot let our fear control us. We cannot let our fear win. We've got to be able to say, no, I need to vocalize. And I want to lift up the church because I've had some conversations where I've had to vocalize. I just don't agree. Or I just don't understand. Help me, brother, understand. And we've had discussions with brothers and sisters, and they've been difficult at times. But I tell you what, when, the longer I go without talking to like a disciple, especially a disciple with a different ideology, the more entrenched in my own viewpoint I get. But the more I go, hey, I have a question. Hey, I don't understand. Hey, can you help me understand? Hey, what does this mean? This the whole thing with this thing in sports going on right now. Can you help me understand? Every time I have a conversation, I leave going, that was awesome. That was great. It's like that, ah, oh, the splinter has been removed, right? It's, and it's not that we necessarily agree. Sometimes we think the church has to be unified. Church is unified. Unity is not necessarily uniformity. In fact, the, the church is compared to a body, and bodies are not all one part. Bodies are all different parts, right, that support a greater purpose. And Christ's primary purpose on earth was to heal, and it was to heal everyone, even those in Zarephath. I know some of you right now struggle with people from Zarephath. Me too. No, I'm just kidding. Um, even those in Zarephath or those in Syria, right? But Jesus came to the world. He wasn't just going to be some popular preacher. He was going to do the hard things, to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable. He was going to bring this. And, he, and Jesus understood, too, I think one more thing. We continue on. Jesus understood that freedom does not equal healing, right? Just because you free a slave doesn't mean they're going to actually be healed, right? You could, they could be disenfranchised. They, could be, they couldn't be set up for success in all sorts of ways, right? Just because somebody is freed doesn't mean they, they're healed. And Jesus loves us enough not just to free us, but to provide a means of healing for us. And Jesus says this a chapter later when he says, hey, listen, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want to give you a challenge this morning. Jesus says, I have not come to call the healthy, but the sick. What's he saying? Jesus is being cheeky here. I'll give you a hint. Jesus is not saying some of you are healthy. Therefore, you don't need me. That's not, that doesn't make any sense with all other right Christian theology, what Jesus says in his gospels. What Jesus is saying is, is those who think they are healthy, obviously don't need me. It's the sick who I can help. Healthy people, right? They're not looking for help. Someone who's sick will do anything for a cure. Someone who's sick will do anything for treatment. Someone who's sick will sell all that they have, will go bankrupt and go into debt to find a cure, right? Someone who's hurting goes to a doctor looking for treatment. I want to encourage you this morning, the only wrong path forward is to say, yeah, I get it. The only wrong path forward is to say, yeah, I got it. I understand. Hey, how about you listen to me? That's the only wrong path forward. I don't care which side you're on. We got to be humble. We got to be able to ask for treatment. We got, I was talking to a brother recently who said, I just, all this stuff overwhelms me because I just, I don't understand. I need help. And I said, bro, you're already on the right track. You're already on the right track. You've said the most difficult thing to say. I'm overwhelmed. I need help. Help me understand. God can bring healing through that. God can work through that. Jesus is a healer and he will heal us. But we first have to recognize the sin. We have to recognize the sin. And I know that we live in a world of individualism where we say my sins are not his sins. Her sins are not her sins. But the reality is, is that corporate sin is real. When I sin, it affects you guys. When a, a mom sins, does it not affect her family? And in the same way, even though I haven't necessarily done physically, literally some of the things that white people have done in the past, I am guilty of their corporate sin. I have shared in that, right? And it's not just a race thing. I have shared in the sins of men because I'm a man. I have shared in those things. And even though I haven't done them, I need to recognize them so that I can then be part of the solution, so that I can be part of a grand process at healing. Not just someone who says, didn't do it, not my fault. How does that bring about healing? How does that bring about reconciliation? You know, it's funny growing up, my parents always taught me to apologize even if you don't really know what you did wrong. You know, unless some people don't agree with that or don't like that, right? But I always thought it was kind of cool to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for what happened to you, like I didn't mean, I didn't intend that to happen. I didn't want that to happen, but I'm sorry it happened. Or I'm sorry that it came across that way. Or I'm sorry that all this has happened. I'm sorry. I have no idea what I did or how I did it, but I want to get there. There's something beautiful in that. There's something beautiful in, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Hey, I don't, you see, Jesus, and Jesus doesn't just tell us to do this. Jesus shows us how to do this. Jesus doesn't just come and say, hey, here's what you got to do to get healed. He says, hey, follow me on this path to collective health. Follow me. Jesus is the means of healing in and of himself, right? And the Jubilee year is powerful, not because God didn't give us this. God didn't say, all right, Christians, every 50 years, forgive each other, right? No, God says, I'm not giving you a Jubilee year. I'm giving you a Jubilee person. I'm giving you a jubilee human being, a jubilee friend in Jesus. 
and that Jesus every day teaches us to forgive our, the debts of others. Jesus every day teaches us to forgive, uh, to give back what's not ours. Jesus teaches us every day to be able to focus on healing and not focus on yourself, to not focus on my sins and just who, ca- who cares about everyone else, just focus on me, focus on no, no, no. How can I bring healing to the human species, to all of God's children, right? Because when God looks up from heaven, he doesn't see borders. He sees people. And I know we're going to disagree on other things, but we cannot disagree on this. We cannot disagree on the idea that all lives, that all life is precious, especially the lives of the oppressed. Depending on your situation in the world, that's going to look different. In our country, it looks like it looks. And we have to own those sins and we have to work together to be part of the healing process and not just try to have a kumbaya moment and go back to normal, right? To go back to what's, because it's just going to happen again, right? Pain always comes to the surface. It does. It always rises to the surface. And I pray that we can have this together in Christ. It's a beautiful woman, beautiful woman. I've never actually seen her, but she writes beautifully. 14th century. Her name is Julian of Norwich. And she wrote about Christ's love. And I want to just close out with this. She writes, these are three means, as I understand, whereby that all souls come to heaven. That is to say that all that have been sinners in earth and shall be saved. For by these three medicines, it behooveth that every soul be healed. Though the soul be healed, his wounds are seen before God, not as wounds, but as worships. I love that that when we actually expose our wounds, our struggles, our pains, our vulnerabilities to God, it is not seen as a wound by God, but seen as a worship. And then finally, he loveth us endlessly and we sin customably. And he showeth us full mildly and then we sorrow and mourn discreetly, turning us into the beholding of his mercy, cleaving to his love and goodness, seeing that he is our medicine, faithfully knowing his everlasting love, him thanking and praising, we please him. I love thee, and thou lovest me, and our love shall not be separated in two. Oh, Julian just nails it. I love him, he loves me, and he is my medicine. And she notices that, that he is the one that brings about healing. Julian is the one who says that every day we have to go to God in prayer. Every day we have to seek healing from him. Every day we have to return to the one who is our medicine. And I want to just close out now with a, the lyrics to a final song that we'll sing. Uh, it's the song, I Will Rise. We'll take communion first and then sing this final song. But the, the song, as we, as we strive to seek and behold Jesus, as we strive to recognize our sins, as we strive to, to be able to return to the one who is our medicine, the words of I Will Rise are, And I hear the cry of every longing heart, worthy is the lamb, and I will rise when he calls my name. No more sorrow and no more pain. I will rise on eagle's wings before my God, fall on my knees and rise. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.